Today, we are finishing the series in Romans, which if you have been around, I know I heard a few go, I know, if you've been around for a while, we've been in Romans for like 20 something weeks. So good job, you did it. We're here, we're here, we're here at the end. Um, I know, really big deal. I'm so uh, honored to be the person getting to close the book of Romans. So please scroll with me or turn with me in your Bible to Romans 16. If you are using a pew Bible, which I realize there's a couple different versions, it's definitely on page 806 in one of them. Somewhere around there in the other. Uh, Go to the middle of your Bible, flip right, eventually you'll find Romans. Um, Yes, Romans 16. The letter to the Romans is a letter written to real people. And as far as we can tell, ordinary people. It wasn't written to professional theologians, like in the same sense that we would think of today. And though biblically literate people, uh, they were just a lot like us, pretty common people. And Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, he doesn't actually know who started the church in Rome. And in fact, even to this day, nobody knows who actually started the church in Rome which is kind of a fun fact because you would think that they all knew each other, but no, nobody knows. Also, total side note, wouldn't you hate to be the person who started the church in Rome and then be like, I went down in history unnamed. I don't know, maybe that's just me, whatever. He is writing to the church in Rome, doesn't know who started it, but knows that there is already a church planted there and it is a healthy church that is thriving. So his plan is actually to go up to Spain and he's gonna stop in Rome on the way and be a benefactor of the health and the life of this church. So Paul's idea is I'm gonna stop here, I'm gonna get fed and built up and then I'll be on my way to Spain. So that's kind of his plan. Uh, Things did not go to plan. Paul never made it to Spain, but that's a sermon for a different day. To set the scene for Romans 16 specifically, Paul is not sitting alone writing this letter, which is what I assumed when I first read this. Not the case. In verse 22, it says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Tertius was a professional secretary, so somebody who would write down, like a scribe, as somebody was dictating to them, in this case, a letter. And so he's writing down all of these things that Paul is saying. Tertius happens to be the only person in all of Paul's letters who actually gets named as the person who wrote the letter. So that's kind of special and makes us wonder, why? Why Tertius? Uh, I jokingly, this is totally not biblically accurate. Please do not write this down and say that this is true. I like to think that he was like, and I was here also. Like... (laughs) And I, Tertius, also say hello. Uh, But it's more likely that either the people in Rome knew who Tertius was, and uh, Paul, including him in the letter, gives some credit and some weight to what he's saying. In that same vein, it could be him saying, hello, friends, I'm I'm over here too, and hello, nice to see you. Um, And then it also could be that in this overall talk of unity and mentioning people by name, Um, that, which is something that we'll get to in a little bit, that it wouldn't have made sense to leave him out. These are speculations, we don't actually know, but I do think it's really interesting that he is the only person who gets noted. So, Paul and Tertius 
and maybe some other friends gather in this room to write the end of this letter. So, Romans 16, starting in verse one. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sencre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Phoebe is probably the person who is taking the letter to Rome along with copies to be distributed. So she gets mentioned first. She's a deacon, a leader of the church. And Paul's like, hey, first of all, the gal that's bringing these to you, she's, she's okay. It's like, trust her. Verse three, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Apentis, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews have been, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trifena and Trifosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, who chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asencritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the people, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I'm gonna drink some water. As Paul is writing this, I imagine him kind of like me, just like walking around and being like, oh, and Matt, don't forget about Matt. Matt's doing really good work, and Deb, they're, they're doing great work. And, uh, and Lydia and Lance, they've been doing a lot of work. Can't forget them, and Lori and Bill and Abby, can't forget to write those people down, add them in this. And he's like, yes, okay, and adding them, and they did these things. These are the people who make up the body. And they are a significant number of the 100 to 200 Christians in Rome at the time. Here's their stats. Paul mentions 25 people by name, including the households of three different individuals. And if we assume that a household maybe has eight people in it, that's nearly 50 people. In the book, uh, Rise of Christianity, historian Rodney Stark puts the number of Christians in the entire empire at about 7,500 of 60 million. Uh, those are people who lived in Rome in 200 AD. So about 0.02% of the whole imperial population. There's gonna be a quiz after. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Certainly, the church was much smaller 145 years earlier than that when Paul's letters actually reached Rome, which was a city of about a million at the time. So if we use Stark's 200 AD percentage and the church of Rome was about 200 believers, 
then it was probably closer to about half of that in 55 AD. I should have made a timeline or something for us. If that's true, and 100 plus people made up the entire Christian population in the city, then Paul named half of the church in the conclusion of this letter. That's significant. Paul didn't make this list of people as a point to show hierarchy or competition. He recognizes them because they are his friends and his family. And also because they loved the Lord. He sends this message to the church in Rome as a recognition to those who are there loving and serving the Lord just as they are as an inspiration and an encouragement. Hey, the good that you're doing over there, it's happening over here too. Take heart, be encouraged, keep up the good stuff because the work that you're doing over there is worth it and it's happening all over. These people aren't a part of an exclusive club. The people who took hold of the gospel that found themselves written into the narrative of God healing and reconciling and redeeming the world are people exactly like us. Following Jesus is not an elite club and sharing the gospel is not reserved for the theologically advanced. It's for people who are willing to share their story. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, when was the last time that you told someone about Jesus? Maybe you don't because, I don't know, you feel embarrassed or maybe you're afraid that people will think you're weird or freak out when you share your beliefs with them. Or maybe you're like, I'm gonna share this and then they're gonna talk bad about me when I walk out of the room. One of my friends from Alpha, uh, she would come to me every week and I'd say, hello, you know, how are you? And she would, oh, I told seven people about Jesus this week. I said, you did, really? She goes, oh yeah, I told seven people, there's this person at this place, this person works over here, that person at that place. And I, I looked at her and I said, I don't know any other person who, one, tells seven people a week, hey, you gotta know Jesus and come find him at this church down the road, first of all. Second of all, who actually know people by name and also where to find them and not in like a weird stalker situation, but like know them, you know what I'm saying? How many people do you actually know by name and know, okay, they work at this place and I know how to actually follow up with them. I'm not just gonna, okay, come to church and then walk away. What we know in our hearts is what should compel us to tell the good news, to tell about Jesus and share about who he is. The way that this friend of mine shares the gospel is through the good news in her life. Most recent good news, she just got permanent housing. That's good news. I know, right? And it's an answer to her prayer and her faith. Our faith is not a private matter. The best followers of Jesus are not the ones who keep to themselves and live out faith privately. And they're also not the ones that are just forcing the religiosity of tradition on people and just telling the world how broken it is without actually welcoming and inviting into the healing relationship with Jesus and the church. The way that we can tell people about Jesus by both being sincere um, and not insensitive is by our presence in the world. In Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus tells us, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything 
except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are salt by preserving the good that's in the world already and we are light by driving out the evil. And this could mean really simple things, opening the door for someone, Ooh, letting somebody go in front of you in the merge lane when you're driving. That's mine, that's my one, yeah. It could also be something really big when you actually figure out what your cause is. What is the thing that is, breaks your heart? What if for you is the thing that is worth actually fighting for? We can't all do everything, but we can all do our some things, and that's actually what is gonna make a difference. I wanted to share with you two stories of how big of an impact we actually can have on um, others. So like I said, two weekends ago, we did baptisms. And the way that we uh, host baptisms here is you sign up on a form that says, I would like to learn more about baptism. And then myself or another pastor on staff will meet with you and just hear your story. Like, why do you wanna get baptized right now? Let, tell us what your testimony is, what you understand about baptism, questions you have. And so we make it really personal and um, just really conversational. And through that, I got to meet one of the gals that we ended up baptizing, and she told me her, her origin story. And she said that a while back, she had broken her leg, and there's a small group here at the church who found out, and one of the gals from there was like, hey, I'm gonna come take care of you. And so this woman started going to her house, bringing her food, like cleaning up her house, washing her hair, that, like, that would be, that's intimate. That would be a little much for me. And I just thought, wow, you are more holy than I. Anyway, so she's doing all of these things. And eventually she says, hey, I'm a part of this small group. Would you like to come hang out with us sometime? And the gal is like, yeah, I mean, you've really been loving me very well. And there's something different about you. So yeah, I'll go check it out. So she comes to the small group and through relationship and study, she ends up being like, yeah, I'm all about this Jesus guy and says yes to Jesus. And so through the sacrificial love of this woman and the welcoming spirit of the small group to take in this woman just exactly as she was, she found Jesus. And then next time we had a baptism opportunity, said, I want that to be my identity. I'm gonna tell the world, make a public declaration of the goodness of God in my life. And so she did. And I was like, it was so, so cool. And I got to meet with the, um, the small group afterwards in the comments. And I said, what's really cool about their story is that they're actually getting to see the fruit of the seeds that they planted. So we go about our lives doing good, loving people well as best we can, bringing hope, bringing light. But we don't always get to see the end of the story. And in this case, this small group got to sit here in the audience while she got baptized and celebrate the goodness of the Lord in her life. And then she even said, yeah, and I have a friend who I'm gonna bring next week. And it was so cool getting to see all of the, um, the trickle down of just people loving and welcoming 
And this woman found actual hope and healing in her life through it. Which makes a lot of sense because Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And then perhaps probably the most impactful story for my life personally um, happens before I was ever even born. So my grandma is the oldest of seven girls. Mm -hmm. Yep, a lot of ladies. And uh, when she was 25, she was pregnant with my mom, who is her third child. And my grandma's next oldest, the next oldest sibling, went to church, went to a revival, found Jesus, came back to the rest of the family who were not church-going people, who were not followers of Jesus, came back and said, I got saved. Everybody's got to come. So my grandma said, okay, I'll go. And so she said, all right, let me grab another sister. And they grabbed their dad and they said, let's go to church. And so they did. And they all got saved that night. So my grandma calls up her best friend, Linda, and says, Linda, I got saved last night. And Linda goes, ah, Jeannie, I knew it. I should have gone with you. My grandma was like, I know, but come next time. And she was like, okay. And so then them and all of their friends all started going to church together. And I asked my Grammy about this on, on Thanksgiving because I said, I want to make sure that I tell it right. And she said, oh yeah, we all met Jesus and we fell in love with him so much and the Holy Spirit was just moving. We all got on buses and we drove around and knocked on people's doors and just told everybody about Jesus. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, so that's where I get it from, I guess. And I just thought it was so, so incredible that my great aunt not knowing who I was or what my life would ever be like, that Jesus met her, she said yes, she told somebody who told somebody, and eventually it made it down, and my grandma said, my Aunt Vivi directly, probably impacted 100 people to find and follow Jesus. And I said, well, yeah, but Graham, like look at even all of us great grandkids and everybody, just how widespread when you share good news. When you have good news, you wanna share it with people. And it's genuine and it's authentic and it's not about the religiosity of you have, to, you have to follow Jesus or else. It's Jesus met me. Here's the hope that I found and you can have it too. And that's what is this impactful, just like spreading of love and good news. And that's why we, during our, we, like meet, meet your neighbor time, that's why we said turn and share good news. Did you actually share good news with people? Or did you go, okay, we're running through the motions again? We all have good news somewhere in our stories right now. Maybe in the past week, maybe in the past year, we have good news and we should be sharing that with people joyfully and excitedly with each other. We are all a part of a story that is bigger than our own. A story which includes other people saying yes to Jesus, other people finding hope and healing, other people living life to the fullest, people who experience in a really personal way that Jesus loves us. And it includes people who are praying for and contending for us to know the same truth. If the early Christians hadn't talked about their faith, we wouldn't know about it today. They're people who risked their lives to tell the story of Jesus and left a legacy that we get to live in today. And P.S., how cool would it be if you actually tracked your lineage back and you found out that one of these people mentioned in Romans 16 happened to be one of those catalysts in your life? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Ancestry.com.
That is not a plug. It is so important to Paul that the serious of this is not taken lightly. Um, And he continues to talk about that in verse 17, so let's keep reading. I urge you, brothers and sisters, and Paul likely grabbed the pen at this time and wrote, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and gave it back to Tertius. Okay, this is how serious I am. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is actually a callback to the serpent crusher in Genesis 3.15, which is um, the promise that as soon as the curse came upon man, that there would be one to reconcile that. And Paul is saying here, Jesus is that guy. Jesus is the, the prince of peace to come and do that. And the word crush in this passage means to conquer, or to tear one's body and shatter one's strength. (laughs) To tear one's body and to shatter one's strength. Friends, our togetherness is our strength and our division is our weakness. When we tell the gospel, we're not just telling of our own story, but we're telling of our story, of how God has delivered and redeemed us, all of us, and we draw our sense from hope of hope from that story. Whose story? Your story, and the story of God in and through you. Truth without unity leads to pride, and unity without truth leads to a departure from the gospel itself. And then Paul ends Romans with this. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. And then I imagine him like Ralphie in a Christmas story, you know, the you'll should dry out one getting to the end of his letter and going, ah, yeah, that's good. (laughs) If there is anything that the book of Romans explains from beginning to end, it is the greatness of the glory of the plan of God that that Paul preached in the gospel, which is good news. It is entirely fitting that Paul concludes this letter by praising God for such a gospel. The good news that Paul preached presented the God who's chosen to glorify himself through the person and the work of Jesus Christ and who will glorify himself in that way forever. At first glance, uh, looking at the list of people from the beginning, what do we know about them? Not much. We know maybe an adjective and we know their name. We expect to read a list of mighty people like Moses and David, and those are important people 
in God's redemptive work in history, but the heavy lifting is done by simple, ordinary people like you and me. People who love God and who love people. Outside of numbers, Romans 16 includes one of the longest lists of people who are mentioned in the Bible. And we know very little about most of them. But we know that they said yes to Jesus. And that they were so convinced by his love that they would go, go into the world and tell others of the good news. They're ordinary people and ordinary people matter to God. They're the first converts, the Gentiles, Jews, families, brothers and sisters and sons, mothers, adopted mothers, women who are like mothers, spouses, neighbors, the hospitable and the joyful, workers and co-workers, slaves, free, apostles, deacons, leaders, the tested, the bold, the courageous, the tired. Friends, men, a whole lot of women, and the beloved. We don't know their full story, but we know that the roots of their life had pieces that the good news of Jesus spoke to. Where are you from? Not just like where were you raised or geographically located, but what is your story and what makes you you? And what do you have in common with other people, even in this room, that you might not even think about? If we don't get to truly know one another, then we too are at risk for becoming just a list of names easy to skip over. So who don't you know? Who do you see every Sunday and you know their face, but you have no idea what their name is? The person where you go like this as you pass by them. Who don't you know? We have about 1,200 people here on a Sunday morning. And we have roughly 25 roles that need to be filled on a Sunday in order for us to run the whole thing. Like in all kids, safety, everything. So security team, for example, that team, if it were fully loaded at 100 people, and we have eight services a month, that would mean that you, if you were a part of that team, would only have to serve one Sunday a month for us to run all of this. But what ends up happening is we have like 10 people who sign up and just do all of the things and it turns into to burnout. We get so tired or we look around and we go, I don't think I could be used. It looks like all of the roles are filled already. But that's not the case. We need each other. We need to do this all together. This isn't about who's standing on the stage or who's doing what. It's about us all coming together and making and creating space to actually receive and listen to the word of the Lord. Our kids team also needs 100 people. If you joined and hung out with the kids, and maybe if you're a parent and you hung out with a different age group than what you have, we could love and serve and create space and opportunities for more people to find and fall in love with Jesus. If the impact of the church in 55 or 200 AD had less people and reached the world, what impact could we have on our city alone? If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, 
Your faith should compel you to love and to know your neighbor and to serve alongside one another and, like Paul, celebrate each other when you're not in the room. Will you do that? Following Jesus is not an elite club and sharing the hope of Jesus is not reserved for the theologically advanced. It's for those who are willing. It's easy to gloss over passages like chapter 16. They feel like an obligatory ending to a really dense letter. Our temptation is to think that we already got all of the good stuff, seeing this ending just as a gloss. Not so with this chapter. The depth of relationship echoed in Romans 16 puts the flesh and bones on the theology of the letter's previous 15 chapters. Paul isn't simply greeting people, he's celebrating them. And in turn, he's relying on them to have his back when the questions about this unknown apostle start flowing. They are the living letter that gives weight to the written one. They are the church. May it be so with B4, where the city sees a sermon preached within every interaction of our gospel-shaped community as well, because we are the church today. And with that, I would like to invite up my friend Scarlett to do the benediction today. A benediction is simply a blessing in our scattering. So we join together and then we all go about on our merry ways and a benediction is a blessing as we do that. And I thought, what better way in the context of this passage when we're talking about legacy, we're talking about people by name and I being a young woman in ministry leadership, given the opportunities and the space that I have, why not pull up the next generation and let her give you a blessing today? So would you stand with me? And if you feel comfortable, you can hold your hands out. Scar is gonna give us a benediction today. May you be people who make friends and love them deeply. May you be people who are bold and sensitive in sharing the good news of Jesus. May you be people who take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us today. If you're new, you said yes to curiosity, coming and checking it out. We're so glad that you're here. Meet someone new, join a team, Hang out, go in peace.